Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Football Faithful Podcast. Of course, we'll be chatting about the European finals and with a bit of luck, we might even end up being a bit more entertaining than those games themselves, but still plenty to talk about. My name's Sam Steen and joining me as always is Peter Henry. Hi, Peter. How's it going, lads? Not too bad. And uh, I'm not sure what state his voice is in after the last week, but uh, we'll see what we can get out of him anyway. Anthony Kelly. Hi, Ant. How's it going, lads? You guys? Ah, uh, you sound you sound fairly fairly alive, actually. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go to you first this uh, this week, Ant, and and find your moment of the week. What was it? Um, it, it would have to be surprisingly Jordan Henderson lifting the European Cup. Um, funnily enough, that would have to be uh, that would have to be a highlight for me. Mocking yeah. up high, it was a bit of a special moment. Yeah, I don't know if that comes as a surprise to any of you, but yeah, it would have to be a, a pretty special moment for me. <laughs> No, it just in all honesty, you know, all sorts of football aside and all that, Henderson's been a great pro for Liverpool and it was actually really, really emotional and, and rewarding to see him lift the European Cup. I mean, he's taken a lot of shit and a lot of flack off the fans. Um, doesn't always get the praise he deserves. Become a bit of a figure of fun for the national team for England sometimes. So he's really, really come on under Klopp and to see him lifted, the passion, the energy he gives to Liverpool from midfield. Uh, it's just just lovely to see, really, really lovely to see. Like, yeah, and uh, you know, even even the moment at the end, you know, when he's hugging his dad and stuff like that. I mean, you'd, you'd have to have a, a heart of stone oh, for that you. not to affect you. So, speaking of which, Peter, your moment of the week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I've I've had to change. I had to change mine kind of kind of last minute. I was going to go with. Uh, Rob Green going full John Terry after the Chelsea uh, the Chelsea win in Baku. Big fan of I that, yeah. It was massively, <laughs> massively entertaining. The moment when Willian looks at him and even going, who is this fella? You know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, no, I, I actually want to uh, switch it um, because I think this might be the last time I'll get to mention this lad's name on you know the podcast because we do cover the Premier League, but it's it's going to go to Neil Warnock because I don't know if you saw the video doing the rounds yesterday of when he did a. Um, it was after the Liverpool beat Cardiff four one. I think it was back in October, and they asked him would Liverpool win the league, and he said, "Now City will just have too much room in the league, but I reckon with Liverpool's uh, Liverpool's front three, they'll win the Champions League." So. Neil Warnock has been called a lot of things this season. So a lot good, a lot bad, but now he's actually a footballing visionary. So I'm giving it to Neil Warnock this week. <laughs> I just like to say, I started the season usually disliking Neil Warnock, but I find him like that now. I just thought, by the end of the season, I thought he was just hilarious. I just wanted, you almost wanted Cardiff to have a dodgy penalty decision just to see his, you know, his reaction afterwards. So mm-hmm. uh, bye bye, Neil. Uh, my own moment of the week. I, know, I normally don't give one, but I, it's just one I want to flag up. I, I don't know if you saw any of the highlights from the the kind of the charity match to mark the the anniversary of the United treble. Mm-hmm. So they had this game between a uh, bunch of United legends and a bunch of Bayern Munich legends, and uh, Yap Stam was playing for the United team, and he absolutely oh, yeah. went around creasing everybody <laughs> it was unbelievable there was no kind of like you know half measures Ash, it's only a friendly you know we're all getting on a bit he was absolutely just battering lads left right and center and i thought that was very very funny <laughs> but anyway uh back to though and the uh, the real moment of the week i guess really and that was uh liverpool's 2-0 win in the champions league final over spurs and you know plenty has been already been said about this game um 
and without getting really into the details of it, and obviously it was incredibly joyous. Maybe I should actually go to Peter for this one because we can talk about the joy with you and and we'll talk about how Peter, this game kind of it seemed like really like a match between two teams who hadn't played football in close to a month. Um, yeah, and also two teams that know each other very, very well, I think as well, had a, had a massive burn. There's a lot of factors that went into it. People are talking about the break. They're talking about the heat. The fact that they know each other. I personally expected it to be quite a cagey affair. I kind of thought it would finish 1-1, mm-hmm. go to extra time and penalties, because that's just how a lot of, even big big finals in general, are, are tend to be a letdown quite often. But if they're decided by a moment of quality or drama, you, you tend to forget that. Cagey um, is one thing, though. I mean, this was low on quality, especially the first time. Oh, yeah, Matt's so I get it but I'm just kind of making the point that a lot of even the games between the top six we end up kind of going well that wasn't very good but we should kind of expect it maybe a bit more is, is my is my um, my point but yeah it, like so it was a weird game in the in the fact that Liverpool scored so early so Liverpool are good in the counter they have a great defence they were perfectly right to sit back they were really really deep even from early on in the game but they're perfectly able to soak up the pressure and they're they're good on the counter, so why not? And then because the goal came so early, Spurs didn't really have to go after the game straight away either. They kind of played their way back. They were trying to play their way back into it. But what was what was really clear for me, like Salah scored the goal, but I thought he was quite poor in the game. Um, he hit one shot out for a throw-in. Mane, um, you know, Mane started brightly, faded. Firmino, all the talk was of Kane. He looked worse even like in in worse physical shape than Kane and then I thought all of Spurs you know attacking players creative players I thought Son Ali and Ericsson they all got into good positions throughout the game and they just seemed to lack quality they lack lack conviction and belief so it was kind of a a strange game like there was such an amazing build-up to it and then the fact that both teams had kind of risen from the dead to even get there we were kind of expecting this, this you know, really intense game of attacking football. But in, in that regard, it kind of fell on its face. But, hey, listen, if you're a Liverpool fan, you'll soon forget the performance. So, um, yeah, and I, I have to be honest, as much as I've tried and tried to pick holes in Liverpool over the last few years and to a point, up, to, up until a point, there were holes to pick. I have to take my hat off and say that this Liverpool team deserved that trophy um, oh, 100%, I think yeah. so I, I, I'll take my hat off on that. I do think though if I was a Spurs fan it's the kind of game if I put myself in a Spurs fan's shoes and it was Man United playing I would be frustrated because they got into a lot of good positions at times they just seemed to they didn't seem to believe in themselves really you know and Liverpool just kind of they'd been there last year they just looked like the team even though they didn't play well like there's a stat they had 64% plus completion to each other that's woeful for a Champions League final or for any game of elite football but um, they just seemed like they were I thought Liverpool even though they weren't in control of possession and, and that throughout the game I thought they looked like the team that kind of felt that they deserved to win it more than Spurs did Well Ant as I said you probably won't care about the details but uh, I mean Big Divock he did it again Big Divock my boy Divock does it again yeah absolutely Um it's just it, it. Sometimes with a footballer, it's just sort of written in the stars, isn't it? That he's going to have a contribution. He's going to have a say. And uh, I think he had three shots that, on target in the entire competition, and he scored all of them. Yeah, that does not surprise me. With, with him, to be honest, with you. he's only got one gear. He really has. He's got one gear. He gets the ball, and he just wants to freaking shoot ninety percent of the time. He's not a great footballer by any stretch, like. But you know, it's actually quite a nice story because 
he was playing really well for Liverpool um, in Klopp's first um, sort of not full season, but the year he got us to the Europa League final. Um, he's making a really good contribution and he got a really horrific injury in a Merseyside derby. I don't know if any of you remember, Fuma's body went in over the top and it really, really hobbled him on the pitch. Really nasty tackle and it took something out of his game. And um, it was really, he sort of took some momentum out of his out of his development. And he went on loan last season to the Bundesliga and didn't really work out for him. And he just came back this season, not much was expected. You know, he was even behind storage in the pecking order and He's just slowly and slowly built himself up into this absolute sort of cult figure at the club, and he always will be now. You know, scored the scored the vital goal in the European Cup final, 88 minutes. Allowed me as well as a Liverpool fan, very rare in a final to see us enjoy the last couple of minutes of a game without watching between your your fingers and tearing your hair out and biting your fingernails. It's actually yeah. quite nice to enjoy the last few minutes. Uh, apart from that, apart from like giving you the sort of breathing space, did did anyone kind of feel? Oh, that's all right. That puts a bit of a a better sheen on it because had it had it been decided by that, let's let's just call a spade a spade a dodgy penalty decision. It might have felt a little bit, eh, or would it? Would you have cared? No, 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 I wouldn't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> but after last season, after last going and getting beat the way we did against Madrid and Carrius making those horrible, horrible mistakes, and it's just such a such a massive sort of psychological blow to the team the most important thing was winning this this cup I, I remember saying it before the game in the build up you know the, the pressure was right on Liverpool had we not have won had we have got beat Tottenham nicked an equaliser and beat us on penalties whatever it may have been I think psychologically it would have been a huge blow possibly even maybe even a fatal blow to the, to the cycle of players that we've got and, and their sort of potential to win something so it was just a case of winning it Regardless, and as you both said, it wasn't a particularly um, classic game of football in any way, shape, or form. But we won. Who cares? You know, nobody's going to remember it in ten years. The, the performances and stuff. So, most important thing was getting that win for this this group of players, especially after finishing second with ninety seven points as well uh, to Manchester City. So to to actually win something with this group is uh, really really rewarding. Yeah, they absolutely deserve to to have something to show for it at the end of the season, and mm-hmm. you know what what a prize yeah. for them, and pro- probably and you kind of alluded to it there. One of the biggest things about winning that is just the kind of the team spirit that was shown even after the game, and what it means to them, and what you know mm-hmm. the the relationship almost that seems to exist between those players, and even Klopp himself, who I mean, just the amount of Klopp gifts and videos and vines and things that have been doing the rounds <laughs> since the final. I mean, you could have had twenty mom- moments of the week for many of those. Six, let's talk about six, baby. Uh, the counting his fingers. Let's talk about six, baby. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, Klopp's been having a great time ever since, hasn't he? Oh, mate, I don't know if any of you have seen the video of him pouring beer over the, uh, the Liverpool youngster Ian Brewster on the bus. I don't know if any of you have seen that. That's yeah, yeah. He's doing some stupid dance. He's pours beer all over his head. He's just an absolute character. Like, but you're right about the team spirit. I mean, he, to have cultivated that, especially in the modern era as well. You know, all, all different nationalities, all on a lot of money. There's a lot of superstars in the team. Although there's not, doesn't appear to be a lot of egos, which is quite nice. Um, it's really, really refreshing to see, and the, the, the club had lost its way in so many levels before he came in uh, as a manager. One of them was the fact that he didn't really care for the group of players that were on the pitch. Um, there was no character there. There was a bit like Arsenal now. Did to go a goal down, you're going to get beat. Klopp has slowly but surely sort of brought in a lot more character, a lot more sort of team spirit, and you saw at the end the celebrations with the fans how much they bonded. 
Um, there was a really, really um, special clip. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It was sort of off camera as Salah scores the penalty. Uh, Mane's just at the top of the picture in the corner. And you, you just see Mane just drop to his knees and just head in his hands and Mane scores the penalty. You can see what it means to him, even at, you know, even at 1-0, first minute of the game. So it's a team, it's a group of players that care about the club. Um, they, they've all really sort of embraced Klopp's mantra of effort and graft. And if, if I'm being honest, I actually thought Liverpool out of possession were excellent in that game, despite the heat, despite the occasion, um, despite it not being a great game. The effort they put in off the ball um, to sort of try and manage Tottenham and, and, and read the game. There's a moment where uh, Henderson had dropped back into the right-back position early in the first half. And you can just see how alert he is and how vocal he is and you know how sort of orchestrated they are on the pitch. That, that, all, that all comes down to the manager, you know, drilling it into them week in, week out. Although he comes across as quite a fun figure and he is a great character of the game. Um, there's no denying that he's, he's got them well drilled and well versed, and they just they look like they're loving playing for them, which is yeah. really, really, really great to see. One of the worst things for me as as a staunch Man United supporter is it, it, it's hard. Like I said, it's hard not to say Liverpool didn't deserve this, and it's the group of players. It's hard to even dislike them, which which it makes is. it really difficult for me at the moment. Um, you know, even if they were good, <laughs> but I could hate them, then it'd be fine. Like, but. And even Klopp, like you have to take your hat hat off to him. You know, obviously I'm hoping he doesn't get the trophy. We can hold that over him, but at the same time, <laughs> he, he doesn't deserve it. But yeah, he's he's done he's done a super job. You take into account the performance in the league and stuff. And like you said, mm. in the space of maybe three and a half seasons, to take a team that was tenth in the Premier League to two Champions League finals and now to win it uh, has been phenomenal. And, I think the perception of him and the reality behind the scenes are probably quite different. I know he is a very affable guy, very easy, to, you know, good fun, but he's a really serious side. I, I remember reading an article a good few years back. Um, I think it was uh, Ralph Hodgenstein in the, in the Guardian about just how serious Klopp is about his his work behind the scenes. So, like, people shouldn't be kind of fooled by that. But even mm. the likes of, you know... I was doing player ratings. I have to be honest, it was quite... They weren't really... Like I said, the attacking players didn't stand out. You know, it's hard no. to give Jordan Henderson a, a you know, man the match for pointing a lot and shouting. That's kind of different, covering a lot of ground. So the only one who really stood out is Van Dijk. But it, it's hard. Like, that man is just absolutely immense. Like, to go from being mm -hmm. like a player at Southampton that looked good to be going to Liverpool and just upping his game to to become probably, the, now I think it's clear now he's the best defender in the world. They're even talking about him as a potential Ballon d'Or candidate. Like, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, oh, you have to take, and it, it's all just shows, yeah, I think even the ownership, everything behind the scenes, this is the culmination of a lot of intelligent hard work behind the scenes. Like, you can work yeah. hard, just be busy going around doing whatever, like Man United, I'm sure they're doing things, but it's just not intelligent with a plan. I, you know, you have to take your your hat off to Liverpool that they've moved with the times and their, their structure. Every bit of the club is impressive at the moment and it's fucking killing me. Yeah, I know. And, and there's, there's another thing as well that both of you have sort of touched on a little bit and that's, you know, do you remember when Klopp first came in and he was making the team go out and walk up to the crowd and clap them and, you know, all the team holding, their, holding each other's hands and doing all that and everyone was kind of taking the piss out of it. But like... Huh? West Brom. West Brom. West Brom at home. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. But like, you look at that now, and like, that's that's. It's been a part of his plan from yeah. from day one to like connect that team to the to the crowd and to each other, and it's paying dividends now. 
it is. I mean, if if you can, as a manager, if you can harness that crowd uh, at Anfield, it, it it does become a weapon for you. I mean, I, I said it in in the pod after the Barca game. There were moments where the Barca players, to do the zoom ins on Roberto and um, and and a few of the other players, he looked absolutely terrified in that game. Uh, it, it's like it's one of those old fashioned grounds where you know you you're right on top of the action and. If you've got fifty-five thousand people screaming and shouting and, and roaring the players on, uh, he's really sort of harnessed that. He, he's not soft, like you know. He, he understands what that means. The crowd at Dortmund are phenomenal. If you can go to Dortmund and get that crowd behind you, and I think he understands the power of that. And I think he, he mentioned it was his first ever press conference. He said they want to turn doubters into believers at the ground. And honestly, I, I was at games where it was gallows humour at the match. It was you know you you, you were watching players under Brendan Rodgers do you know making 85 passes in four minutes, but staying in the same quadrant of the pitch. You know, it, it was just awful. Defend, defensively, we were all over the place and Klopp's come in. And, and I think he obviously he got on. He alluded to how dire the situation was. He, he even said he was surprised Liverpool had been able to sign Roberto Firmino that summer because we were so crap. Uh, he said he was almost too good for Liverpool as a signing. Um, so I think he knew the wreckage he'd inherited from Rodgers and he just wanted to sort of, maybe it was even to buy himself some time. Um, but to get the crowd going, get you know, obviously you need results and, and performances to go with it. But he's definitely wanted to create that bond, and I don't think any manager has come in, maybe even since Bill Shankly. I don't think any manager has quite come in and unified the crowd. I mean, even under the Benitez when we won the European Cup, there was probably still about a, a third of the fan base who were not convinced by his style, didn't didn't like his defensive setup and overtly negative, sort of almost cold um, relationship with the players. But Klopp has come in and just sort of, he's got everybody behind him. And I'm not surprised FSG are like, you know, ready in this contract. I mean, Melissa Reddy on uh, on Twitter was saying that he wants to, there's talk of him maybe taking a sabbatical in 2022. But apparently FSG are like, you know, going hellful ever to try and talk him out of it, to offer him a bumper contract to, to keep him at the club for as long as we need to. Because at the moment, why would you change anything? He's, he's just an absolute sensation for the club. Well, let's talk about the things that, that, might change then, um, because I th- in previous episodes we we've said that we didn't think that they would be able to maintain the level that they did this season, next season in the league. Um, but you know, coming off to their Champions League winners now, they've got plenty of money to throw around. They've got the reputation to go along with it. Uh, shouldn't have any problems attracting players. You'd have thought. What kind of players are they going to bring in? What, what who do they need to bring in? Do they, is it more about maybe getting in cover than than first team players or what? Peter, I'll go to you with that one. I think they don't need too much to their starting eleven. Um, I think they could maybe upgrade with another top-class centre-back, if I'm honest. Um, Matip's done well, I know, this season, but I'm just kind of thinking that, that there are better out there. Joe Gomez looked very good with, with Van Dijk at the start of the season, but I think anybody um, would look good with Van Dijk, if I'm honest. <sighs> there was rumours going around today that they, they're... They're now in for a delict. They weren't necessarily thinking of it, but there's a chance there, and he would be open to it. It'd be very logical for him go to one of the the top the top teams in Europe at the moment, play with Virgil Van Dijk, his his partner at international level. I think they'd be fearsome if they got a hold of him. To be honest, um, apart from that, maybe like I said, it's hard to hard to really pick too many holes. I know a lot of Liverpool fans think, oh, we need a bit more creativity from midfield. That was a complaint right the way through the season. That might be an option, but I think they the way Klopp plays, I, you know, I think they're kind of, the midfielders they have suit the system, even if they can frustrate at times. 
Milner's getting a bit older, so maybe a young a young player who doesn't need to play every week to come into that midfield three and kind of ease himself in. I know Klopp has shown again what a good manager is. He doesn't always throw players straight in. Like Fabinho, do you remember we were talking about him as a write-off after three, four months of the season? But, you know, he brought him through when he was ready and he's been one of Liverpool's top players um, coming up towards the end of the campaign. So I'd say maybe another, another option in midfield. And then I think they're in such a strong position now that players are going to want to go there. I think now is the time for them to maybe bring some kind of young players in, like I said, who don't necessarily need to play every week but want to learn and will get their chance. If they perform well, well, they'll stay in. But it's going to be hard to break up that front three realistically, you know. So um, I think Firmino is the perfect striker for Klopp's system. You might get a better finisher or, you know, someone who'll offer more in other areas, but he... He's perfect for Klopp's system, so I don't see them messing too much with the front three. Yeah, like, I don't know, will Shakiri hang around, maybe? Uh, you'd have to think Origi will be kind of his go-to substitute again next year, probably. Or does he get rootless and maybe upgrade a few people? Like I said, you know, does he get a new centre-half in? Does he get better talent to come in um, as the kind of reserve for the front three? You know, even better than Origi and Shakiri. I'd say that it's more kind of... I think he needs to fill out his squad with a bit more quality, but there's not too much to be done to that, uh, you know, to, to the starting eleven. I wouldn't imagine. No, is, is that fair, Ant, or would they look for maybe other options, maybe just to maybe other options up top to change maybe how they play? I mean, I know Origi's there, and he, he's you know there'll be a statue up made of him and all the rest of it, but Sturge is gone now, and they don't really have an out and out goal scorer. Well, there's there's been there's been murmurs um, already. I mean, obviously. Storage and Marino going is indication that they're trying to free up some of the bigger earners out the club. Marino was rumours to be on about 50 grand a week, which is scandalous. Um, Storage was on the best part of 100 grand a week, so they're both gone. Mignolet is going to go. You know, His brother came out today and said he really wants to leave to play football. He's on the best part of 100 grand a week, so there's three really big earners gone to clear the deck, probably to offer a bumper contract. And maybe even attract another player with a bumper contract. So there's definitely murmurs. Tom Henry said before the final that even if they won the European Cup, it wouldn't make up for not winning the league. And he said he's going to invest. So there's, you know that's the owner of the club. So you know you, you imagine him to be true to his word. He has been so far as an owner. Um, I think in terms of the squad itself, it's probably a balancing act between adding a little bit of cover here and there. Uh, I don't want to burn Robertson out. I'm really, really conscious that towards the end of the season, he starts to look a little bit tired, Robertson. Um, the way he plays, the kind of football um, that we play, it, it sort of puts a lot on our fullbacks. And to even Alexander-Arnold, to, to, to wipe them both out would be catastrophic to how we play. So we've got to be very careful. Uh, I think you, you're not going to find another another one of them two, but we need somebody to come in and maybe to sort of um, ease, the, ease the load a little bit on them. Um, up top, I don't think there's too much that he's doing really. Um, why would you? Why would you get rid of any? Why would you try and change anything up front? You know, with, with the players that we've got, um, definitely maybe some cover up there. Arigi is, is a great option as a as a four four fifth choice striker. Um, but then I, I look at the midfield and I would like to see a few more goals added to it. Um, the, the, the one thing that had me scratching my head this season was that we had um, Fakir lined up for sixty million. That's a lot of money. Uh, the deal was done the medical was getting done and they've seen something on the medical which has spooked them which is fine they've pulled out which is which is our prerogative to do I was happy they did it but the fact that we didn't have anybody else lined up was odd that's because that's clearly an admission that you need a player if you're going to sign somebody the fact that we didn't have a plan B 
and another option to go and to go after it was strange. So I still think that I would like to see a another goal scorer from midfield. Um, Cater Cater was playing okay, injury prone, still adapting to the Premier League. Oxley Chamberlain to come back. That knee injury was horrific. Whether he can still come back after that. So I definitely think I want to see another match winner added to midfield. But really, there's nothing too desperate. I, I agree with Pete, another centre-half. I mean, if we got the lick, I'd be doing somersaults, to be honest with you. But um, we'll just have to wait and see on that one because the rumours are still quite sensitive. So I'll have to, have to wait and see what happens with, the, with another centre-half. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, let's talk about Spurs then. Not so much about how they played in the game. I think that's been well covered. But where do they go from here? Because it'll be interesting, I guess, both uh, on the... Uh, you know, the, in the playing staff, but also the coaching staff. Who stays, who goes? Peter, I mean, is, is does the loss mean that Poch is more likely to stay or more likely to go, do you think? I think he stays. I, I, he seems to be a little unlucky in a way. Like, he's not going to leave Spurs and go to a club at the same level. Um, with no disrespect to Spurs, they're still quite new kids on the block when it comes to, you know, finishing in Champions League places, challenging for leagues, competing in the Champions League. Um, he's done an absolutely immense job. But, you know, you would have thought United, even though Spurs are a much better team at the moment, United still have, you know, he'd get more money. They have more pedigree. Um, that would have been a good move from, but that's gone. You would have thought maybe, you know, Real Madrid before, that's gone. Um, it looks like Sarri's going to take the Juve job. So th- that's not that's not really going at the moment either. So there doesn't really seem to be anywhere for him to go. So I, I think he'll stay there um, and then maybe leave when another big job comes up in the future. I just don't see where he'd go. I think in terms of players, Deli Ali had a really poor season. At the start of uh, at the start of this season, no player, I think, under the age of 22 in Europe's top five leagues had been, had more goal involvements, goals and assists, and Deli Ali had, I think it was five this season. Hasn't scored since January. Again, didn't like he was probably the only England player I'd say out of the World Cup in Russia that didn't come out of it with his reputation enhanced. Um, he he, I look, we've I'm beating the same drum. We've talked about it over and over again. That the team is just tired. They, they've they a strong starting 11 and they've been flogged like horses over the last, you know, whatever, three seasons or whatever. They, they've, you know, on paper, they've had really good seasons, qualified uh, Champions League each time. Um, so, so what do they do about that, Peter? Do they go out and they well, buy a bunch of squad players or a couple of good players to make the team that they have better? Well, well listen, I think Ericsson's come out today, say, Sam, and said he wants to try something new. So Ericsson's going to leave but by all accounts. Um, I think I, be, I don't know why people aren't sniffing around Son if I'm honest I thought he wasn't very good in the Champions League final but he's an excellent player Lucas Moore is not going to be too happy after being dropped the most unlucky player not to start the Champions League Absolutely, final ever yeah. I'd imagine um, so I, I think if they keep everybody they need to maybe get a bit more quality in Um they need more. Co- they, they, yeah, they need a lot. They need players who are going to come in and challenge. Like Spurs have squad players there now, but the eleven players, not that they've got complacent, but they know they're playing every week. The, the Spurs team, if they're all fit, picks itself essentially. Maybe, maybe more or Son will miss out, but apart from that, it picks itself. So they need to get some quality in. I think now is the time for Spurs to really get after it and put a bit of money into their squad. They, there's no excuses. The, the stadium's built. Uh, there might be the legacy of debts there. I don't know the business situation. Um, 
but they've got a, a lot in the pot from the Champions League. I know the Champions League money can be overestimated as well, but they've made a few bob there as well. I think they really need to consolidate now. I still think they'll be looking maybe in the you know, category B of players, which will suit Pochettino how he likes to work with younger players. I think they'll be looking for a lot of really good young players with potential sell-all value. But I, I, I would say they need four to five top quality replacements coming in. Well, tough, not replacements, players coming in. Um, mm. that When you consider they haven't signed anyone in 18 months, this isn't really a normal transfer window in a way where you just say, I oh, will just take in three or four. They probably need four or five. And then, yeah, but then players need to be able to actually challenge. They need to give Delhi Alley a rocket to say, look, you're not playing every week, mate, if you're not good enough anymore, you know? So, um, yeah, it's going to be a busy summer, I'd imagine, at White Hart Lane, and they need to... They need a lot of top-quality competition in there if they're going to keep competing, I'd say. Right, we'll chat about the uh, Europa League final in just a second, but uh, first, you fancy a quiz, lads? Yeah, yeah right. I'm going to do it a little bit different this week. I'm going to talk about the Champions League finals as uh, we've just had one, and I'm going to do sort of sudden death. Uh, I want you to, going backward from this one, so we obviously just had Liverpool 2, Spurs nil, and I want you to go back each year and tell us who was in it and what was the score, and when someone gets it wrong... They're gone. Simple as that. So, uh, Peter, we'll start with you. What was the one, the the Champions League final last year, and what was the score? The score was oh, jeez, was it three one four? It was Real Madrid and Liverpool, and the final score was three one. It was three one. Very good. And oh, for two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Um, Bloody hell, lads. I might be out here straight away. Um, I know it was Real Madrid who won it. Yeah. Um, it was in Cardiff. Bloody hell. It was in Cardiff, won it. Oh, Jesus. Um, I'm going to go for Real Madrid versus... It was Real Madrid-Juventus. It was. Um, yeah, Real Madrid-Juventus. They absolutely battered them in the end. Um, yeah, 4-1. 4-1, very good. Peter? Um, the one before that was Real Madrid and... Real Madrid, so that's the third. Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid? It was. And the score in that one was... Oh, was that the clutch game with... The, no, that wasn't with the Sergio Ramos goal. That one ended... I can't remember the score of that one. That one ended... 2-0 to Real Madrid. No, it was 1-1 and they won on pens. Yeah, was it? <sighs> tough one, tough one. All right, you've won this round. Uh, let's move on and we'll chat about the Europa League then. That was uh, between Arsenal and Chelsea. Another fairly low-quality game, but uh, Chelsea came out on top uh, and were, were you know, decent winners, I guess, in the end, Dan. Yeah, they were. Um, it, was, it was, wasn't it? It was a funny final, that um, really sort of, Anti, again, anticlimactic, but there was a, a surreal element to it as well. I don't know if it was because of the atmosphere in Baku, how far away and detached it all felt. But I think on top of that, it was two clubs. I don't think there's ever been a moment where there's been two English clubs in a final who've had so much uncertainty around them. Um, you know, Chelsea obviously showed their class and showed their experience. Um, they've won a major honours in 11 of the last 15 seasons. Is that right? I don't know if that's true. Yeah, it but, sounds about right. You know, it, it, yeah, but like they, they, they went into that final and you were looking at it and in the end it was men against boys. 
if I'm being brutally honest, Chelsea just had far too much for them. Arsenal are so disappointing, though. I mean, they 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 needed yeah. to win that game. They needed to win to qualify for the Champions League. You know, there was a lot more riding on it yeah. for them. Yeah, and, and he didn't play like that either. It was strange. I mean, even in the first half, when you were probably just shading it, didn't do anything. Like, didn't really have that much. I mean, I know, I know the keeper flapped at a couple and, and gave them a half chance, but, you know, for a team that had to win that game and a manager who's won the competition a few times and probably, let, let's face it, with a few weeks to go in the season, hedged his bets and said, probably going to have to try and win the Europa League. You know, he just completely, completely fell away. He conceded that first goal and just, just went to pieces. Went, absolutely went to pieces. And, um, you know, there, there was probably about 10 minutes of quality from Chelsea, which won them the game. And if you're an Arsenal fan, that, that's simply not good enough. You can't you can't go to a major final and get done like that. And I know Chelsea were you know, Hazard and, and Pedro, people like that who are serial winners. They've won plenty of stuff. But if you're an Arsenal fan, you, you're looking at that performance and just thinking there's a lot of work that needs doing. All of a sudden, you've gone from having a lot of praise for him. Like, I have. I've got a lot of time for him as a coach. But you, the writing's on the wall there in terms of how much work he's got to do. I mean, there's talk of him only having £40 million to spend after that game. Which Jeez, is, that's brutal. Again, if yeah. If you, well, yeah, if you're an Arsenal fan, you, you probably turn your hair out because what can you get? I mean, apparently Leicester have put £70 million on Ben Chilwell. For a price tag, so for forty million is going to get you fucking nothing. Like, and they need a whole new defense and, and some characters in that team. There's no character at all. Um, so yeah, it was it was a strange one. But yet Chelsea, looking at it, probably much the happier team. Even though a week later, there's again all sorts of uncertainty around the club. Hazard's going, Sarri's going. You know who's going to be the umpteenth team for manager and the umpteenth team for year that they've had managerial change. So there's. It was a really, really weird one. Although they won, he'd probably come out the next week with just as many negatives as they are going into it. So, really, really weird one. That yeah, very it, strange. It, it's, it's. I mean, Chelsea are just weird anyway. I mean, obviously, it was a good win, four-one. Hazard got two goals, Peter. But then afterwards, almost immediately afterwards, when Prest was saying, "Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm off now," which I guess is no surprise, but maybe a little bit of surprise given the transfer embargo. Um, where, where, where did Chelsea go now? I mean, he mentioned Sarri could be off. Well, Sarri is off. I think he's pretty yeah. much that's that's just a matter of time. Um, he's he's going to Juve. Uh, they want him. He wants to go there. Chelsea have said if you pay up the contract, we, we'll get it sorted. You know, we we let him move on. I think even if Juve weren't in, I, you know, this was like kind of Ant almost touched on it. I'd say Chelsea went into it even with even more questions hanging over them than Arsenal because. Um, Sarri's just not popular there with, with the club's fans. It, it, is is this not different. all just completely mad, though? I mean, he's won a Europa League, he's got them into the Champions League, and they were they were way off when he started. You know, never looked like that when he yeah, started. Yeah, but this this is Chelsea. Everyone, you know, every year they're in crisis, and every year they win a trophy. They they're you know they're a crackpot <laughs> club. And but are they? Even, would would you say they're you in know, crisis and, now? You know, I mean, are, yeah. It's Chelsea. They, 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 like at the end of the day, but for me, I think they're hilarious because like football is defined by winning trophies, obviously at the elite level, and like they just piss all over everybody at the end of the day, despite being in this like being a soap opera every year almost. They're sacking their coach, whatever, but they always just seem to finish with a trophy. I wouldn't put a pass them to win a trophy next season either. That just seems to be what happens every season <laughs> with Chelsea. Everyone goes, no, no, that's it, that's it. Now they're gonna drop off. They're, you know, they're and they'll they'll finish tenth, come back next season, win the league, finish, you know, outside the top six last year, then come back, win a trophy, final of the Carabao Cup, and third place. On paper, looks very good, but when you scratch beneath the surface, realistically, they, you know, 
the, the fans booing at the home games. Um, mm. Let's be honest, the players haven't looked like they've liked playing Sari ball. Um, you know, that's not a, a, they've looked like players going through the motions at times. Um, I don't think the win was anything got to do with um, Sari's tactics as such. I think they come up against a very shaky Arsenal back line. And I thought Giroud and Hazard kind of, uh, grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck over a, a pretty short period in the in the second period in the second half and took it away from them. Tokante and, and Kovacic were really good um, in the, in the centre of the park as well. But um, yeah, it was weird. It's a weird one with Sarri because it's hard to be a manager of a club when you're so unpopular with the fan base. And I think it's a little bit harsh on them, but at the same time they have been dire to watch. I, I don't think we could, we can dispute that. You know, the, the other argument is it's just so weird with Chelsea because he's the kind of manager with such a defined philosophy. It's always going to take time. But you know that you just don't get time at Chelsea. So, like, it was always going to kind of end this way. Um, it's not really surprising. I personally think, and this will sound massively hypocritical because I'm always the one who says, like, you know, I've been kind of pissing on my own club, the whole oh, Solskjaer gets the club attitude. Right. I actually think Frank Lampard's the perfect man to go in there at the moment and take over because of the transfer ban. And um, he's had a couple of, you know, their most promising young players on, on loan at, at Derby this season. He's impressed. Um, I don't think any big coach like a Max Allegri is going to want to go into Chelsea. If they, you know, a big coach is going to come to the Premier League, he wants to compete. He's not going to be able to compete. You know, that squad as is, isn't going to be able to compete for the Champions League. Uh, sorry, well, definitely not for the Champions League. They're in there. They're not going to be able to compete with Liverpool and Man City next season. They might improve a little bit how they, aesthetically, how they look at the team, but I, they, they're not going to get much better than third place, I think, really. So I think with the transfer ban, I think Lampard is actually the right man to go in there. He's a club man. Um He'll say the right things and he will finally try to bring some of the, the talents for from Chelsea through. And I wouldn't be surprised, just because it's Chelsea, lads, that you know the way there's been they've been given so much guff over the last few years, you know, winning five FA Cups and never really getting any players through. I know Hudson Adoy and Ruben Loftus Cheek came through this year but really that's a, a shocking record I remember growing up if if I heard Man United won the Youth Cup you'd be expecting a couple of them in the first team at least in the next uh, couple of seasons and they've had five Youth Cup wins um, but I wouldn't be surprised because it's Chelsea and they just defy logic every year that they actually end up doing really well because they were forced to bring their kids through <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> who knows because they just like they absolutely like we were brought up with this, you need stability in your club, and they just proved the complete opposite every single year. They're an absolute crackpot of a club, um, and uh, you know it, it's it's just going to be another summer of drama. But I, I can't see any big name coaches going in there. Um, Hazard, fair play, they're going to let him go. I think he did a kind of Ronaldo last summer when the interest was there. He said, um, you know, I'll play, I'll stay one more year, but then I'm off. So it looks that way. They do have Pulis, Pulisic coming in, but you know, for me, Aiden Hazard, it's a personal thing. He's when he's on best form, he's the most enjoyable player in the Premier League to to watch. I know the likes of Salah will get better numbers, but just watching watching Hazard when he's on top, like he never loses the ball. That little fat arse bumping off people, slaloming in and out out of players. He's just he's absolutely top class. And I I actually think when he goes to Real Madrid that 
for the next two or three seasons, he'll be Ballon d'Or territory because I really think he's that good. And I think he won't be kicked to death the way he is in England either over there. I think you'll, you'll actually see him take his game to another level. So I, I'm, I really miss Hazard um, in terms of the Premier League because he, he's that good. Um, I think Chelsea are bugging about him, Pete, as well. Uh, that would be a concern if you're a Chelsea fan, isn't it? I mean, you're right about Pulisic coming in, he, he's he's not even like the same player as Hazard, so he's not even coming in as a replacement, but you take Hazard out that team, and they're very average, in my opinion, at the moment. Hazard I, I out that team. I agree 100%. I suppose they probably, you know, I'm saying oh, they'll probably just prove us all wrong and do well next season, but I do see that group of players minus Hazard really, really struggling to make it into the top four next season. It's scary, because... dude. There's no one in that team that scares you. Like I remember watching Hazard in the game we beat them in the league this season when Salah scored that goal but even then we scored two quick goals and they were right at us right down our throats and you were terrified of Hazard even though you knew how good our defence was and how good our home record was you just looked at Hazard and thought fuck he could literally take this game away from you in seconds he's that good yeah I always kind of judge um, the really top players on how nervous I am when they get the ball when they play Man United you know same Uh, here and I don't mean to be bad I, I don't get that like you know, I need to run to the toilet feeling when Mo Salah gets the ball. But when the two for me, anyway, it's it's Hazard and De Bruyne. They're the two where I'm yeah. jumping behind the couch when they get the ball. You know, um, so it was Phil Jones for you, please. Sorry, I thought it was Phil Jones that had you jumping behind the couch. There's no, there's plenty of them in my own team. I get a <laughs> Talk to me about Arsenal then, because so okay, I I, I know you you expect. Chelsea to defy all expectations and logic and probably do better than they should do next season, Peter. But uh, and 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 you mentioned Arsenal's problems and and how they've they've got no yeah. money to try and fix them. So are, are we still saying that they're still next season maybe going to be the fifth best team, or will they leapfrog if, if, Chelsea and get into that top four? No, if they're lucky, they'll, they'll be the fifth best team. Um, I mean. Looking at that team that they've got at the moment, I mean, like Chelsea, there's no one in there that scares you really. Abumiang on his day um, is an outstanding forward, and maybe he, if he stays and has another season like this season, he could maybe keep them up. But honestly, at the moment, looking at that team, I think they're nowhere near getting back in the top four. Um, just, just defensively, they're so fragile. And worse than that, I think any team can have sort of poor individual defensive players. I think they're mentally very weak. Um, they go a goal down in a game and it's curtains for them, isn't it? You know, like, um, you, you worry for them um, as as if you were one of their fans. They go a goal down, you think, oh, shit. And like that run they went in towards the end of the season where they were, they were just absolutely capitulating in games. Um, it's a sign that there's not much mental strength there. Uh, there's no connection with the players, with, with the fans at all either. You know, there's a lot of sort of aggro towards that group of players. Apparently, um, it was only Granite Xhaka that, we're sort of marshalling the players and making them go to clap. Travelling Arsenal fans, you know, they, they, they look a little bit detached, um, if, if I'm being honest. And they, they might prove me wrong. Amory is a very good coach, in my opinion, but there's so much work that needs to be done. There's a lot of strong clubs emerging um, who probably have more money to spend than Arsenal. Um, you know, in that sort of, in that Jason Park, Wolves have got a lot of money. If the takeover at Newcastle happens, they'll have money to spend. Uh, Leicester, Leicester, Everton, they've got money. You know, this is let, let's face it, lads. This is whoever spends the most ends up at the top of the tree, really. Still, isn't it? You know, when all said and done, and if 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 it's true that they have only got forty million to spend, then I would 
that's like the killer one for me. That that's an absolute crippler. Like you know, the the, the probably teams in in the championship who might be able to outspend that on a good day. So it, it's just it's just crazy to have that little sort of such a small budget to fix such a big problem. They've slightly well, they haven't done worse than they, they did last season. I think they got about seven more points, didn't they, in the Premier League? Yeah. And they went from being in the semi-finals of the Europa League to the final of the Europa League. <laughs> so if you just look at it like down on paper from each season, it, there's been a very, very slight progression. Um, you couldn't say he's got it worse, but he hasn't really had much money to spend at all, like you said. So he's kind of just got it squeezed a tiny, tiny bit more than, than Wenger had out of that player. You'd say the only... Sorry, out of that group of players, the player I would say that really improved this year was maybe Lacazette. I thought he was showed himself to be a really good all-round footballer. Um, I thought he was just a finisher originally. I thought he's actually Arsenal's best player. I think he won their player of the year as well. But, like, yeah, there's just so much work to be done. But I think out of all the top six clubs, you'd have to say the, the one glaring example of going backwards is Man United, really, from second to sixth and you know, nowhere near any cup finals or anything. You know, Chelsea could argue possession uh, progression because, you know, they got Carabao Cup, you, you know, the final, the Europa League, and, and they improved their league finish. Spurs got to a Champions League final. Um, yeah, it's, it, Man United are, are the ones who you would say have, have had the worst season if you just break it down in, into, like, you know, like I said, just the metrics of, like, where did you finish in the league? How far did you get in the cup competitions? United have had the worst season out of all of them by, by a country mile, you know? Yeah, and, and Ange just said there, I mean, it it all comes down to the amount of money you spend. I mean, I don't think there's any fear of them spending money this summer, but I don't know if it's going to solve the problems, is it? No, and it's, it's how it's done. Um you know the the director of football still hasn't still hasn't materialised, so that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, no, come here. I, I don't want to go you know over the same things again. I I personally don't trust um, the people making decisions at the club to do the right things. I have a feeling we'll like you know just get strung like the delict rumours. We'll just get strung along with them. He'll go to Barcelona. We'll let other targets you know slip through. Ed Woodward is still supposedly very prominent um in choosing players how why and you know that that just needs to stop um you know it's somebody you know obviously the ego i i know football i you know um i might have been a businessman but i know football and obviously we're you know i i like um i i don't like when you know people have the attitude that unless you played professional football or worked in it your whole life you you, you don't know anything about football but you know, to have some lad like that who came from a bank to be making decisions on player recruitment at, at the biggest club, well, the so-called biggest club in the world. Um, they sell the, We sell the most jerseys anyway. We're definitely not the best club in the world in terms of, you know, an actual football pitch. I, I look at the best club, the biggest, when I think the biggest club in the world, I think of the actual best club, you know, the 11 players out in a pitch at the present moment of time. I don't think about, you know, how many commercial partners you have. Um, oh, yeah, but what, are the, what like, other team has a tap sponsorship? Exactly, Sam. But it's bizarre, though, because <laughs> like since Pep came in, we spent the same amount of money as them. Do you know what I mean? So it just There's shows, even if we hadn't done it, this is the thing, like, even if we hadn't done, like, even if we hadn't spent the money just a little bit wisely, you know, 
we should actually be, you know, second or third in the league, you would say. But, like, it's just the fact that we're, we've just been such a mess in, in everything we've done um, from 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 the bottom to the top. It's, it's been absolutely terrible. So, and, you, you know, there must be, the players must be there thinking, like, they don't trust, they don't trust the people making the decisions at the club, you know, supposedly even, you know, given Jones and Small and Young, you know, pay increases and new contracts, um, I, I don't, I, I perfectly understand why that hasn't gone down well with other members of the squad. And I personally, I think that had a big reason why we fell apart a bit after the initial resurgence under Solskjaer. It's coming towards the end of the season. People want to know, you know, people are thinking, where am I going to be next season, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a lot of talk about just going and signing young players. I don't think that's the right approach at all. I'd like to see a couple of young players come in. But I think Liverpool are in the perfect place now to sign young players because they're in a position of strength. You know, you think of the class of 92, people act as if they just came in and won everything. But the class of 92 came in, they were allowed to make mistakes, ease their way into the team because they had the likes of Keane and Schmeichel there, experienced winners. They were coming into a successful team. That's the right time to bring young players in. I dread being a young player going into the Man United dressing room and now you'd you know, you'd know almost feel sorry for them. Where's the direction going to be from anything? So um, I, I actually, if I'm perfectly honest, Sam, I don't think we've hit rock bottom with Man United yet. Really? So, so, so the other teams, despite them perhaps falling away, we're going to continue to fall further, you think? Yeah, well, it's it's far. Yeah, well, like we'll stay in the top six, I, I would imagine. But I, I yeah, I, I still think we've another season. I, I think it'll bottom out um, next season, and then maybe finally things will change behind the scenes. Because I just see with the whole setup behind the scenes, sounds nothing's changed that happened through all the other previous transfer windows. Why would you, you know? Why would you get a different result when you're doing the same things over and over again? You know, yeah, it's yeah. like let lessons are, are you know lessons are never learned or else it's just one wildly different strategy than the next so I actually think I look I don't want to be an ace you know a doomsday merchant but I think Salzburg will be gone by Christmas and then we might finally restructure things next summer and then start to build back but it's a long long road back it, you know we, we've fallen so far behind football has moved on from the way we saw it and uh, you know personally in my opinion I I'd like to see someone with no connections to the club come in and, and, and rip it up the way Klopp has with Liverpool because this idea of even our jersey is still going on about 1999 like you know what I mean lads yeah, yeah. We, we become 1990s Liverpool obsessed with our past and una- unable to accept the fact that success in the past should just you know we, we deserve to be successful because we used to be no it's a new day and we need to get with the times and that's it's strange, Peter. With Man United at the moment, from like an outside looking in, I'm not going to say I'm a neutral with Man U. I never do. But like, um, the whole like the the, the rumours linking you with Madison and um, the, the lad from Swansea, James. Mm. Like, you know, it, it seems to me like perhaps if those rumours are true and there is that link there, that maybe you know, oh yeah, youth is this new this new thing for Man United to try. We've tried the big names. Now let's try the youth players coming through. And as you say, it almost seems like they're sticking the finger in the air and waving it around and thinking, oh, oh what's the next idea? You've, obviously, youthful signings are the way forward. You've got to sign a player young enough to be hungry enough, in my opinion. I'm always quite wary of signing 29, 30-year-olds, unless they're a free like Milner or something like that. But but it's uh, not a larger plan with ple- with people to fit a certain hole. It's sort of like young players, big players with big names. It's, you know, exactly. No- <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was almost like when... Uh, it was almost like, I don't know if you remember, like, you know, going away from football, but when McDonald's were in a lot of trouble 
apparently like, he went through like 10 CEOs in 10 months or something stupid like that and they were they were basically trying a new idea every couple of months yeah, and yeah. I think you've got to be careful with that as a football club with Man United have definitely go after good young players I'm not saying don't but don't just exclusively go after it you've, you've got to have a plan yeah. you've got to have a structure to it um, if you just go out and sign a bunch of 21 year olds on big money like 15 million quid for James from Swansea is a lot of money for a young yeah. lad of that age with no Premier League experience if you sign five or six of them there's a chance that two or three of them might not be any good. Yeah, um, yeah. So you, you've got to be... So it's like, something the England national team I often thought were obsessed with for a long time was youth, youth, youth. Like, what do you yeah. do? Do you put players aside when they're 25? Like, because they're not... Yeah, exactly. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's, um, yeah. No, it, it, there has to be a blend with, within a squad, you know? Um, and, and there's just nothing that, you know... It, I think we probably need we would be good to get. I I'd like Madison. I think he's he's a top talent. I think he he has the personality to go there and 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 pick up you know hit the ground running. I think, um, but I do think we also need um some experience in there as well to come in. You know I, you know it sounds so stereotypical or sorry cliche, but it, it's so important. You, you do need them kind of characters and leaders within the team, and I just don't see it at Man United. Like we need a top class striker. Rashford's not a good enough finisher to be pinning your hopes on. I think when you talk about you, you know what United need. I think it's like a, a bit like Arsenal. You'd probably want to go the other way and say, yeah, start start from the front and work your way back almost. I was just yeah, starting exactly. start at both ends and finish in the middle. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like major, major surgery. And it's the kind of surgery that isn't possible, I don't believe, within one single transfer window, you know? Yeah, yeah well, well, we'll finish on that high note. Um, right, let's do uh, round two of the quiz. And if you remember, we're going back through the uh, Champions League finalists. We only got as far as uh, Real Madrid and Atletico in 2015-16, getting that one right. So we'll make it a little bit easier. And I just want the, the teams that were in the final from then backwards. So the 14-15 season. Uh, tell us, who were the finalists? Ant, we'll go with you. 14-15. Um... Yep. That was Juventus Barca, wasn't it? It was indeed. Barca won three one. Before that, then Peter. Oh, I might be wrong here. I might be a year back, but I'm going to say Bayern and Dortmund. You were wrong. I'm afraid it was Real Madrid yeah. and Atletico when they won four <laughs> one. Uh, easy win for you there, Ant. Well done. I, I I lost Pete there as he just exploded in rage. Unlucky Peter. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if he's not hung up or not. Uh, right then, and we'll finish up with uh, Prick of the Week. Ant, you won. Let's go to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to go for former Liverpool fullback, um, Steve Nickel, coming out and the heinous, heinous crime. Um, of, of demanding that Liverpool get rid of their legendary forward Divock Origi. I, 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 just, I, I don't even know what, what sauce he was drinking to make such a crazy and outlandish suggestion. You don't get rid of Divock Origi. That, that's one of the basics. So he's an absolute prick for making that suggestion, in my opinion. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Peter, have you got any? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with UEFA actually over the, the Baku debacle, you know. Um, I'm kind of, I often argue with, with football fans that they need to accept that football is a business in some situations, but this was just beyond, you know, above and beyond, you know, playing a, a game out there where, where fans just couldn't get to, you know, it was I think it started at midnight or something local time. Um, the pitch was terrible. The, the fans, you know, were miles away from 
from the action, just just complete disregard for for the people that make football. Ultimately, I know it's a business and there's money and stuff, but you know it, it, that was just showing a complete disregard to uh, to fans about clubs. Um, I thought it was an absolute disgrace. Um, like I said, I'm accepting that you know business does have to come into it when it comes to football. That's why it's blown up into what a massive inju- industry it is. But um, yeah, no, just the total disregard for for fans about Chelsea and Arsenal um, that had to travel out. And then obviously the Mkhitaryan thing, him not being able to, to play due to political reasons is just absolutely insane. In 2019, you just think that kind of thing is is is, is over. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll go with UEFA. That's a nice way to end it, UEFA. Yeah, oh, always happy to call UEFA a bunch of bricks. Good. Uh, that's it from us. We'll be back again. And uh, keep an eye on your feed. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on all the different platforms, be it SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Spotify, or all of the many other ones. And uh, any bonus pods that come out over the summer, they'll all be appearing in your feeds. And if you've got any ideas as well, of course, you can always send them to us on Twitter. Uh, thanks so much, Peter. Take it easy, lads. Enjoy that. Cheers, Ant. Nice one, odds. Nice one, cheers. And goodbye for me. We'll see you next time.